everybody and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. We are back with our Pitch Fest 2022 series, episode 9 today. So we are very near to the end, one more to go. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, Amelia Helt, and I am joined by my co-host, Tim Silverwood. Hello, Tim. How are you doing? Doing well. Very nice to be back. And uh, speaking of repeating, uh, we've got uh, Better Packaging Co., who are the first ever startup to be recognised as finalist in two consecutive years of the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest. That's it. And uh, if anyone had any doubts as to whether you can apply to multiple years of Pitch Fest, I think this should put that behind you. You definitely can. You know, our aim at OIO is to to genuinely really support startups doing the most for Planet Ocean and a lot can change in a year in startup land. That's right. And, you know, especially if you're going through significant evolutions with new product lines or changes to new markets. So, yeah, do not hesitate. Apply, apply, apply. Every year this one comes around. I think it's also great practice to always make sure that you are going out there and telling your story in the most uh, engaging way. And that really is a big core of what we do at PitchFest, right? It's about putting your story out there in an engaging pitch video to not just convince us that you're doing great work, but to also convince the the crowd, everyone out there who loves ocean impact innovators. That's so true. And, you know, we're stoked to have Kate and Bex back from Better Packaging Co. and no strangers to the podcast because as you said, they were finalists in the Ocean Impact PitchFest 2021. But last year, And this highlights your point. They took out the Plastic Spotlight Award presented by Zip Water for Pitchfest 2022. So, again, this shows an evolution. And also, Tim, how good that we have incredible sponsors and partners like Zip to shine a light on these solutions. Yeah, not only to to shine a light and to support the the emerging opportunities for entrepreneurs and innovators. But uh, to kind of close the loop, and and one thing I think I'm allowed to talk about is that as a bit of a result of being exposed to all these great solutions through their support of the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest, Zipwater are uh, in conversations with Better Packaging Co. to adopt some of their packaging solutions for their supply chain. And isn't that just a beautiful way of closing the loop in that not only can the people at Zipwater be inspired by the great work being done, they can go, oh, actually, we would like to use that. Is that okay? And of course, everyone's happy at the end of the day. That is fantastic. You heard it here first. That is really cool. We love to hear that. I mean, this is really what programs and events like Pitch Fest are all about, which is to connect people uh, and to to make sure that, you know, adoption of these solutions can happen. So what a great thing. Well, look, this dynamic duo, Kate and Bex, are always fun to chat with. If you enjoy this episode, you should also check out last year's, which we'll link in the show notes. And they, they chat about their compostable dirt bag range, which was a fun one. So we'll link that below. But, you know, this one talking about Plastic, which is how they won the the Spotlight Award for 2022. This is a range that I guess Tim was kind of designed as another piece of the Better Packaging Co, you know, puzzle. On one hand, you've got their original compostable range, which is designed to stop plastic being produced in the first place. And then, you know, on the other hand, plastic is addressing existing plastic pollution and removing that from the environment, treating it as a a resource instead of waste. And finally, their new bamboo mailers uh, and envelopes designed to be a more 
sustainable alternative to paper. It's still recyclable at end of life. Um, and I think they, they plant a tree with each order. So there's kind of an element of giving back. So I guess it just seems like they're, they're continually innovating or addressing a new part of the packaging supply chain. Would you say that's right, Tim? Yeah, what I really love about these guys is they've got the circular economy front and centre in mind. And for anyone who's a fan or has been or is yet to be, like just go and dive deep into the principles of the circular economy because when you do, it all just starts to make a whole lot of sense. And so ever since um, Better Packaging Co. emerged on the scene, they've had that circularity in mind. And obviously it's gone through different iterations and the, the plastic range is saying, oh my gosh, there is so much plastic out there in the world, particularly in places where it shouldn't be, places where there's no infrastructure in place to solve the problem. We as a business, as a B Corp proactive contemporary thinking business can play a role in trying to make sure that stuff gets another use and gets to remain in circularity because that's the biggest problem that we face in the waste conversation at the moment is that we're using far too much stuff from the planet, which is virgin materials, and then we're letting it go to landfill or the environment as waste. And that's just an abominable thing to do. So anyone who's got circularity in mind who is figuring out how to solve these problems and keep materials in sustained flows has got a lot of respect from me. So can't wait to see where the range goes next. They say it themselves. They still can't believe that they're in a packaging company. You know, they're very, very consciously minded, um, beautiful women, very successful, and they're just disrupting at every step of the way. So, you know, better packaging co. That's them. That is them. And I think they might have said this in the, in the previous episode of the podcast. You know, one of their goals is for every piece of, you know, quote unquote waste to be viewed as a resource uh, for it to be valued. I can't remember if it was Kate or Bex that said it, but um, it was a brilliant quote. And so they're always great to talk to. We love having them on the podcast. So thank you, Kate and Bex um, and the team at Better Packaging Co. You can also check out, give a little shout out to their social media team. Uh, they have a fantastic, really funny and entertaining Instagram and TikTok. So if that is your thing, go follow them there. They always come up with fun and creative ways to announce their new, their new lines, their new products. So uh, that's definitely worth checking out. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could leave us a bit of feedback. We'd really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. Very excited to have back on the Ocean Impact podcast again, Kate Bizar and Rebecca Pekaski from Better Packaging Co. Um, these guys have been on the podcast before because they were a finalist in Pitchfest 2021, but we're here to talk about what's happened since because this is the Pitchfest 2022 series. You guys were the winner of the Plastic Pollution Spotlight Award sponsored by Zipwater. You had a big 12 months. I'm very excited to touch base again. How are you both? Yeah, great. Very good. Thanks, Tim. So, yeah, you actually are the first repeat podcasters that we've had. You've put in an incredible submission for Pitchfest 2021 and then lo and behold, Pitchfest 2022 comes around and you just smash it out of the park with your application. Things seem to be going really well for you guys. Yeah, we've had an incredible uh, couple of years since we've developed our new range of packaging made from ocean-bound plastic pollution. So we just wanted to uh, resubmit and super excited to be awarded the prize that we were. Yeah, that really was the strongest part of the application, right? You really were able to hone in on just how 
progressed your ocean-bound plastic range, the plastic range was. So that really was a standout strength in the application, clearly, which got you the winner of the Plastic Pollution Spotlight Award. Yeah, I think the prior year we had just launched, and that in itself was pretty amazing because it was certainly the first time in the world that packaging had been made from 100% ocean-bound plastic, the kind of packaging that we make. But now, I guess a, a year on, we've made you know, a huge amount of impact through that. So that's where I think um, things have, have certainly gone on for the better. Yeah. And there is some other product developments too that we'll get to. But I think we just wanted to start at the beginning by really um, encouraging those people that want to get the lovely big story. You guys have got such incredible relationship and chemistry that comes out. So it's episode five of the Pitchfest 2021 series. You're going to get a lot of that really awesome backstory. But today we're going to just try and focus on what's been happening in the past 12 months. But we probably should be sympathetic to those listeners who haven't got to episode five yet but want to continue. Just give us a little bit of a snapshot of what Better Packaging Co. is doing and uh, and how you guys came to be where you are. Sure. So we, uh, Kate and I are the co-founders of Better Packaging and we launched in 2018 and we were really driven by this idea of doing packaging better, uh, looking at what was out in the marketplace and trying to find something better than what existed and knowing that what was available at that time would change significantly and that we were on this journey. And so we were really upfront and honest with our customers and everyone that we interacted with, that we were on this journey to find the most sustainable options in the marketplace. And and the the first product that we launched with was a home compostable, certified home compostable courier satchel. Uh, They were beautiful matte black, uh, had really fun and informative uh, information on them because it was important to us that we really communicated about the pros and cons of the packaging uh, and that Saw incredible uptake. Uh, Those bags literally raced out the door. Um, We couldn't keep up with the demand and they sort of, they found their hands all the way around the world. We'd have people in England emailing us and the dirt bags were getting getting around. But a couple of years into that journey, we realised that we needed to be doing more and that it wasn't enough to just reduce the environmental impacts of packaging. We needed to use packaging to make a whole lot of good. And so we got sort of fixated on this idea of using packaging to clean up the mess that we've made and to harvest pollution as a resource. And so about two years ago now, we launched Plastic, which is packaging made out of ocean-bound Uh, plastic pollution so we're working with communities in Asia and collecting pollution from the beaches and waterways and then turning that into packaging so it's got this really incredible environmental and social side to it and it also has a 75% less carbon footprint than traditional virgin alternatives so it really is the full package. (laughs) (laughs) So great and a bit of a quick story then into you know, who you are and, and how you came to be working together. Maybe, Kate, you can give us a little bit of a, a backstory there. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're friends first and foremost, and you probably get a feel for that. 
Uh, so it's quite tricky when we're trying to talk work because we always digress into all sorts of personal stuff and cycle back and it's all completely interlinked. But no, we're great mates. We had worked together in the past. Uh, Beck got me into a startup that she was previously involved with um, that was working in the e-commerce technology space. Uh, and it was there that we saw the huge rise in e-commerce and realised the packaging waste that was going with that. So that was why our focus has was from the beginning e-commerce packaging. Um, but we just love working with each other. And uh, I don't know, we sort of take crazy risks when we're <laughs> together. <laughs> well, I don't know, there's less, there's less fear. We sort of got each other's back. And we were always very good at building on each other's ideas and sort of taking them to that next level, taking them higher. Um, and so when Beck decided to branch out and explore this idea of the a sustainable packaging business she came to me and, and pitched it and I was like I am so in despite saying for years and years that I would never run my own business again I could immediately see the potential um, from all sorts of aspects from what as a consumer what I was receiving in the in the um, post when I ordered online I knew that I wanted better um, as a previous business owner I knew that there were very few alternatives in terms of sustainable packaging um, and I could see the potential for impact. And, um, and it, we had a clean slate. You know, we had no background in packaging, you know, and, and we had nothing to lose either. And that's, that's when it's really fun. You know, you just, it's like, well, should we do this? And can we really say I'm a real dirtbag on the back of them? Can we get away with that? Yeah, and a totally yeah. bootstrapped. As you yeah. said, it was just the two of us. We did, we did all parts of the business. It was the fulfillment house. And it's just so organic and easy when it's like that because decisions are literally made mm. over a cup of coffee um, <laughs> and there's no one else you have to communicate it to it just happens um, it, it was magic yeah wasn't it? It, was it was really, a lot of really fun. fun it still is but yeah. you know those early days is it sort of quite a different energy mm. when um, you got everything to gain and nothing to lose yeah you give some really good stories in that previous episode talking about some of those teething problems of, of getting to scale and Stocktober and some of those things. So definitely, again, encourage people to head back and, and dive into the archives for that. But yeah, let's just talk a little bit then about what's happened over the past 12 months since you, we last had you on the podcast. Yeah, maybe you could just give us a little bit of some of those highlights and updates of what's been happening in the recent history. Yeah, yeah so look, we, we launched two years ago so when we spoke we would have been about a year into it uh, and we really wanted to prove with plastic that we could make it I think we were talking earlier like we're taking the shittiest nastiest plastic in the world and turning it into something usable and it really does beg the question why more people aren't doing that so to begin with we really wanted to prove that we could do it and make it 100% uh, when we first started with it it was all blobby and you know, it just wasn't working. And so we got something to market and we got some early adopters, um, some of our really passionate customers. And over the last year, we've then taken that product and gone through that supply chain and said, right, how can we make it even better? How can we reduce overheads? Um, how can we make the process less impact the environment? Uh, and then also we're scaling the operations as we have lots of customers come on board. The beautiful thing about plastic is that it can be used for so many different different uh, product 
variations. And so we have been launching new products since we last spoke. We've done, we're doing the courier satchels, uh, the poly garment bags. Uh, we've just developed pallet wrap, which is super exciting, 100% ocean bound. We've got Ziploc bags. Uh, we've made a food grade version of it as well. So we've got the Ziploc bags in the supermarkets. Um, we've done the little label loops, which are those clear invoice things, that, um, commercial invoice windows pouches, that you see, yeah. pouches. They're ubiquitous if anyone's shipping internationally. So we've, we've been really busy <laughs> listing it off. And, and of course, um, we've got a number of new customers coming on board. It's been quite a, an interesting time. You know, we've come out of pretty aggressive lockdowns in this part of the world and survived, <laughs> you know, as a business and personally. But, you know, it was, it's been a pretty challenging couple of years. And now we're just, the world's opened up. We're super excited to get out there again. Uh, we're traveling a lot. We are going to a lot of trade shows, expos. Uh, we're expanding 80 uh, 90, over 90% of our sales have always been international, but we just see such huge potential in, in the international market, so that's, that's a real focus mm-hmm. for us. Um, growing the team internationally, uh, and um, what else have we been doing? Lots of trade shows. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of trade shows. <laughs> Which is amazing, like we were, we were talking before, it's just so neat to be in person with your customers again and talking to them and and that's where we get a lot of energy from is actually talking to your customers and asking them what works and what they're looking for. Uh, so we're really loving that part of the world opening up is getting to meet in person again with people. You spoke previously about, you know, you're creating this incredible product. You know, you didn't probably quite take as many active steps around IP protection as maybe you could have, but there was a lot of copycats out there for the compostable mailers. What has it been like going to these trade shows and now being able to showcase your very future thinking, regenerative um, solution? Are there copycats out there that are now jumping on that? Are you still feeling like you've got a fair bit of breathing space around you on that on that front? Not not yet. You know, I think I think we're quite ahead of the curve on this one, and uh, we. You know, it did take us 18 months to develop this product, um, and there was a lot of trial and error. Uh, so. Yeah, it's certainly not going to be as easy to replicate. Um, that said, in a way, if everyone did it, you know, that'd be a wonderful thing, right? Well, packaging so. makes up over three percent um, of the carbon emissions, and with our product being seventy-five percent less than that, you know, if everyone moved over to plastic, we could reduce carbon emissions by you know close to two percent. So that's really powerful, mm. and that that is the dream that we want, right? So you've already had around about 450 or 480 tonnes of, of material processed into this plastic range or collected. Yeah, just tell us a little bit more around how that process is taking shape and give people a bit of a picture, I suppose, of, of what, that, what the journey starts for a plastic product. Where does it start? And a little bit, I suppose, into, into the process to bring it into people's mailboxes. Yeah, it's... So we, in the last three months, we've been removing over 100 tonnes of pollution a month, which is pretty amazing uh, and super exciting. And I actually, we had to pack up some packaging for a customer just on Christmas, and I got to sort of see how, how much that actually means, uh, how big that is, the scale of that. So it is, it's really exciting. But 
we have collectors in Indonesia, so Indonesia and Malaysia, who we pay a fair wage to go and collect pollution from their waterways or their beaches. Uh, they collect it up, it gets bailed in, um, it's all washed and then sorted, so they take out the materials that aren't going to be applicable, and they'll they'll put it into different colour streams as well because some of our products might be black and some of them might be see-through. Uh, it gets washed, dried, chipped, and then processed into these tiny little granules, which we usually have some in our office, uh, and then that gets sent to our converter who then converts it into the packaging that we use. So quite the process, uh, and there's a number of technicalities along that, that supply chain that we've managed to uh, sort through. We've chosen to work in Southeast Asia because that's where 80% of the world's ocean plastics enter from. Um, and by definition, to be classified as ocean-bound plastic, which uh, is what we are using, plastic pollution, it has to come within a certain radius of the coast and be in a, and I think this is a really important point, come from a, an environment or a community with no waste management infrastructure. So there are no recycling trucks. There aren't even rubbish bins. Um, this plastic is, it's, I mean, it's discarded, it's littered. It, at best, someone might dig a hole and bury it. Uh, it might be burnt. Um, but either way, animals will ferret through it. It gets, you know, it just goes everywhere. And then when the next monsoon rain comes, it's in the stream, it's in the ditch, and then it's it's a short journey to the ocean. Uh, and so we're often asked why why we focus there, and that's why, because that's where we can make the most impact. Yeah, and obviously a, a dream state for the future would be that some of these uh, cultures and uh, communities do get access to fantastic recycling. It might take a while, but then you're always, at least for the probably next few decades, going to find another region which is lacking in that infrastructure and that investment in order to, to keep capturing this stuff. Yeah, like we, we are creating waste management system. We're creating an economic incentive for this waste to be collected when it wouldn't be otherwise. Um, in a way, it's a little bit like a container deposit scheme or, you know, you're paying people to look out for that plastic and pick it up or, you know, a container deposit scheme or, or a bottle share scheme, you're, you're picking up bottles, but it's a similar kind of yeah. exercise. We've always believed that until you put a, way, a value on something and then you know, in the society we live, to, live in at the moment, until we place a value on it, people won't respect it. And so what we're doing by paying for that pollution is you're putting a value on it uh, and it just changes the mindset. And it's what we believe needs to happen with all pollution and waste sources. We need to treat these resources as precious, which they are. We've taken a lot of energy to make them and create them in the first place. Mm. And this whole idea of just discarding them after you know, minutes or months of use is, is just ridiculous. And so what we're saying is this is of value. Let's get it back into the loop and respect it. So it's interesting in a sense of, you know, yeah, like kind of like an EPR model, but, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're a company, you know, you're the private sector going in to build this solution that really maybe should be supported by other people who are selling products and services into those regions. Do you as part of the schemes that you're intertwined with to, to utilise and collect this ocean-bound plastic, are there other stakeholders, are governments investing and other industries that are local or is it sort of you just by being a customer and purchasing that ocean-bound plastic, 
you are the key driver of those little micro industries? It's a combination. So there are certainly governments and NGOs working in in this area and doing fantastic work. But, you know, it's it's only going to be sustainable long term if you can create a commercial model around it, to be honest. But, you know, what is interesting is we are now starting to work with large CPG brands as our customers who are essentially responsible for a lot of that, that pollution. So it is, um, it's a really neat story. It's, it's a great solution for them to be able to work with us to help solve the problem that they are partly responsible for causing. Yeah, and we've been seeing lots of stuff happening in that Southeast Asian region, like people like the Circulate Initiative and a whole lot of others. We've got Rob Kaplan, who we've had in the podcast before, like a lot of investment coming in from around the world from a lot of those multinationals because it is kind of this ground zero. So that should translate into immense opportunities for a flourishing industry um, in the coming years. Is the sort of work that you're doing there on Southeast Asia a key when you're, for example, let's talk about Catapult Ocean and joining the recent accelerator and taking some investment for those guys, is is the plastic story and that on-ground impact you're having on ocean health in that region a key driver to, to get those opportunities and to convince investors that you're a, um, a really good place for their funds? Yeah, absolutely. We certainly have a mix of investors, everyone from sort of a more tra- more traditional VCs right through to purely impact-driven investment. Well, actually, that's not true. No one's purely impact-driven. <laughs> they all want, want and expect a return. But uh, for someone like Catapult, impact is incredibly important. It's actually part of uh, their the way they're legally structured and how they legally have to report um, to the Norwegian um, authorities. Um, so part of going through their accelerator is honing uh, the understanding of our impact, positive and negative, uh, how to measure that and how to report it. And so that has been incredibly valuable as a company. You know, we're now not only reporting to our investors' um, impact at that level, but within the team, every time we do a quote, it includes the, the impact a story. Quote. A customer quote. Sorry, yeah. Uh, every time we um, get a great new account, when we communicate that to the team, uh, it's not about the dollars. It's about the amount of plastic pollution mm. and the carbon impact that that will have um, that we're you know that we're celebrating. So you've been through, I guess, a number of you know, incubators and programs in the past. Was was there something particular about the catapult opportunity? Was it a timing thing? Was it about some expansion plans? Just give us a little bit more of that context as to as to the opportunity that you decided to, to jump on? Yeah, we've been incredibly strategic with uh, the accelerator programs that we've done. So we were part of the Elemental Accelerator and they're based in the US and Hawaii. So we really wanted to partner with them to push in to those locations and they've been incredibly helpful for that and they still are. We're um, meeting up again with them in San Fran in April uh, and they're getting us in front of a large number of customers and investors and things like that. And then with the Catapult, it was just the most incredible fit uh, from their values, as Kate mentioned, through to also their connections on that side of the world. Um, So at the moment, we're sort of focusing on Australia and the US, but next year we'll be focusing on Europe uh, and they'll help us with that expansion into those markets. Yeah, but I, th- I think that'll be the last of our accelerators. 
The other, the other one we've done was the Unreasonable Group, which is based in the UK. A little bit of a different model. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is a different, much different model, but um, another. But another we, we really believe, especially from where we are in New Zealand, you know, we're a long way away from the rest of the world, uh, and we've always believed from the early days that we need to lean into all of the resources that are available for us. Uh, it's, it's going to take a village, as they say, to create the change that we want to make, that groundswell. And so we don't... We see business probably quite differently in that we can all work together and leverage off what other people have learned or what connections they have to make the change that we want to make. And, and that served us incredibly well. We've had the most incredible experiences and introductions because of that mentality. Uh, and I think um, it's, yeah, it's the way forward is to all work together on these problems rather than being competitive. Let's get out there and roll our sleeves up and all do it together. And what's it like actually participating in a program at this stage of the game? Um, you know, Kate, you've obviously got a, a big role, lots of responsibilities. I mean, you've just spoken then about some of the incredible opportunities that have already fallen out from it. But, yeah, how do you balance it? How do you go into that opportunity and get your mindset right so you can actually do both simultaneously? It's really tough, to be honest. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually meant to be doing another module at the moment, but I've just been travelling and it's, it's virtually been impossible. And also doing something with Europe, the time zones aren't very friendly. But so, I mean, my, my recommendation would be to literally carve out uh, a chunk of your time and really allocate it to that and be as strict and rigorous about that as you can because there's always something more urgent. But it's about working, you know, it's that old saying, on the business, not in the business. And it's it's crucial. It's so easy just to get stuck in the weeds um, and not lift your head up. You definitely get as much out of it as you put in. We're lucky that there's two of us. Um, so we've kind of split the different accelerator programs um, and done them at different stages. But you do, from any any of them that we've been involved or any communities that we're involved in, you know, we've got a lot of different support behind us, like NZTE and the Corrales Group, um, the Cartier Women's Initiative. We've got amazing support. You do get as you get as much as you put in, and so that's that's sort of being our attitude. I love it, and we'll probably come around to some more questions towards the end around any new hints and tips or ideas for for founders out there. But you just shared some some really great ones. Then we were going to talk a little bit earlier just about the the bamboo range. I wonder if because you actually in the earlier podcast you you hinted at it and you almost had to hold your words because it was maybe a little bit too early. But now they are the real deal. So. Wow, that's a good size satchel. Okay, this is awesome. Look at the little guy. <laughs> yeah, just tell us a bit about the story here. And um, I'm best in grass. I love it. Love it. <laughs> well, that's that's probably one of the most interesting things about bamboo is that it's actually a grass. So when you harvest it, you don't have to kill the whole tree. You just cut the plant off above the roots and it will regenerate. And as it regenerates, it's the fastest growing plant in the world, grass in the world. Uh, and it's like this um, carbon dioxide sucking, oxygen generating marvel. It, it does it way faster than, than traditional trees. So, and then on top of that, it also regenerates land really easily. It'll grow almost anywhere. What else? It's really strong. So gram by gram, you're actually getting a much stronger um, product from it. And it's recyclable. So... Uh, it just it, it ticks all our boxes um, in the sense that 
it's um, it's actively removing pollution from the environment as it grows, uh, and you know it's great for the atmosphere, and then um, it's got a great end of life story as well. So anything I missed about it? I don't think so. No, it's um, yeah. That's very much you know you spoke about your inspiration through the. Ellen MacArthur models and circularity. So I'm just imagining when you're first sitting down and discussing where to next, that you've got a very, very strict set of criteria that need to be met and, and bamboo shone bright through as a really exciting one to explore. How does the actual sort of process work and, and where does it take place? Um, what's it like turning you know bamboo into a really usable fibre that can then be recycled through those systems? Yeah, well, with any new product that we create, the idea has probably been in our head since the beginning. Uh, so with Plastic, we knew that we wanted a recycled product. We just kind of knew that what was available at that point in time wasn't quite right. And the same with a fibre, what we call a fibre-based. We knew we wanted a fibre product, but we wanted it to be tree-free. So we started sort of with the idea of creating something that was tree-free and what would that look like. Uh, and we... We've been working on it for over four years and, and lots of false starts. We toyed with bamboo probably two or three years ago and then it, it just wasn't at the place that we needed it to be, so we've been chipping away at it and iteration after iteration. Um, we've also been looking at agro-waste and we've still got some innovation that's happening in that space um, for other fibre ranges. But there's so many different things that it needs to tick the box on and sustainability is a big part of that and quite often you get something that ticks all of those boxes but it's actually not viable from a cost perspective uh, so it has been a labor of love I actually can't believe they're in my hands <laughs> because they have been a long time coming and they really are all that we imagined and wanted and yeah, super neat They're product. Beautiful. Yeah, they are beautiful. And similar to our plastic range in that we can make lots of different products out of them. You know, we can do uh, carry bags, we can do envelopes, we're looking at boxes at the moment. Um, you can if, even do that sort of first kind of packaging, garment packaging, things like that. So mm. lots of lots of uses, swing tags, you name it. It just makes me want to um, ask you know, a couple of questions around I suppose the customer journey, those customers that are coming to you and how you are actually able to then take them on a, a journey to find the ultimate solution. And, and does that change over time? Are people that used to be really huge fans of the compostable range, then gone to plastic and now looking at bamboo and looking at fiber? How does that sort of take place? And, and who are the people that actually have those discussions? Are they the sales team or? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. And I actually met one of our favourite customers yesterday in person. And they're a really good example. I won't mention names, but they came to us in the early eight days and were looking for the most sustainable option. And at that point in time, it was the compostable range. Uh, and they were using that for their, for their mailers. And then when Plastic came, we came back to them. Uh, and we were like, look, you're one of our first customers. We want to share with you this new innovation. And would you like to pilot it? And they were all over there. And so they were the first customer to pilot it with us and have since moved all of their mailers across. Uh, and then we went and met with them yesterday. And we're like, hey, we've now got these bamboo products. Would you like to be making your retail bags out of those as well? So now we're looking at quoting the retail bags. And you just create this relationship where they know that what we're bringing to them has gone through all the rigor, all the LCAs, uh, 
and we're kind of like their in-house packaging R&D specialists that are doing all that work for them. And you just see their eyes light up because you're solving your problem. They they don't know how to answer it and we're giving them solutions to do that. So we're really taking them on the journey with us, uh, which is really mm. neat. And we are seeing a number of customers move from compostable to plastic, um, and then some are moving from compostable to this new bamboo range. When does it get sort of, I suppose, does it come down to the size of the, the customer and the potential uh, investment to drive that product innovation? Like I think I saw a couple of case studies on the website, whether it's the Ziploc bags or, you know, working with a workwear company. Like how how do you sort of go, okay, you are the right potential customer for us to go and invest very heavily into a completely innovative new process? Yeah, such a good question. I I think it it depends. Either they have to be willing to commit to that process with you, if it is is a whole new, or if we can, if they're just one of a list of, you know, people who we've heard the same thing from a number of times, you know, uh, and we've always got our ear to the ground and trying to listen to our customers, although we are not our sustainability decisions are not driven by our customers, but if um, if you know if we're hearing from our customers that they desperately need a solution for swing tags or um, carton liners is a good yes, one. Yes, that's a really good example. So a lot of customers are moving brands, apparel brands, are moving away from bagging every garment singly in a plastic poly bag. You know those clear garment bags and instead moving to cartons with one plastic liner to protect the bags in transit, generally from Asia to this part of the world. Uh, and so we're now developing carton liners with them. Yeah, so it's just it's driven by demand, but having a, a big customer on board to support that development is always preferable than, than us just going it alone and hoping for the best. Um, and we, we get super excited I know me personally, it's probably one of my favourite parts of the business is that product innovation and having an idea and it might take, in the case of the bamboo, four years to come to market but going on that journey and and learning as you go and it's it's just a total journey of discovery. It's super exciting. But we feel that we're quite well covered now because we have plastic, compostable and the fibre range pretty much for the full supply chain of our customers we've got a solution for that full supply chain of our customers and that's a really exciting place to them because we can now go into brands some of the larger brands and do a packaging order and go hey this is what you can do and these are the changes you can make and this is the impact that will result from that and uh and put it into chunk sized pieces for them and make it super simple for them to have a one or two year plan of moving over to sustainable packaging and that's pretty neat that's really neat and you should be so proud just you know you must be thinking back to that six seven years ago when you 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 know you knew in your heart in your gut what you could become what you could build and and now you're here at that stage where you've got the solutions available to such diverse customers so yeah congratulations thank you what are some of those you know we, we would have touched on it in the last episode those sort of key learnings things that you just like to impart upon prospective founders or people that are currently in the weeds hoping that things are going to get better what are some of those sort of words of wisdom or perseverance that you, that you might want to share and if if you wouldn't mind digging into your your vaults for some of those yeah <laughs> I, I can't remember what we said last time I sort of don't want to repeat myself but 
Well, I think what's been quite pertinent to me in this last year is one foot in front of the other. <laughs> you know, like, and I probably said this last time, just take it one step at a time. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. And last year was really challenging for us. There was lots of things that were thrown at us. And and I just remember, you know, thinking each day, just get up one step in front of the other, work out what you need to achieve for this day or this week or this month. And really, the other thing is to really reflect on what you have achieved. We're not very good at that. But when you do and you realise, like even just coming on these podcasts, we get quite excited because you can sort of reflect on what you have achieved. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's quite often to look at what you haven't, look at what you haven't done or what you need to do. Uh, and it can feel quite overwhelming and sometimes it's quite important to reflect on what you have achieved. Yeah, I mean, we give the team these updates. <laughs> Weekly. Weekly. It was weekly. It's almost it's just exhausting listening to, <laughs> to, to what's happened so in the last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we've also spent the last 12 months raising. Oh, not quite that long. Uh, and that has been, uh, I mean, I think we've learned a lot about that process and I, I won't go into it in a huge amount of detail, but we're quite an interesting beast as a business. We are, um, we're impact, but we're also commercial uh, we're a bit tech, but we're not entirely tech. Uh, you know, we're also a very strong brand. And I think we've just learned to own that and not try to pander to, you know, who potentially we're talking to and try to tell them what we think they want to hear. Uh, but just, yeah, own the fact that, you know, yes, we make impact and yes, we also know how to make money. Uh, and we think that's a, you know, pretty kick-ass thing to be able to do. Yes, uh, we've got IP but, yeah, we're also an extraordinarily powerful brand and that's where we think the value of the business lies. So, yeah, it's – but, you know, sometimes we don't – that means – that hasn't meant that we've necessarily fitted in the, the perfect box for some people. Um, but that's okay. We've found our tribe of investors and they love us um, and believe in what we're doing. Uh, and, we yeah, we did get there. Have you um, been sharing some of those responsibilities there as one person been leading and you've got other people around you to support you as you go into what is ultimately probably a, a large number of meetings and a huge amount of work? We did do it ourselves. Yeah, and that was a lesson. <laughs> yeah, we probably would get external help. And retrospect. Um, and, and at first we were doing everything together, mm. uh, but we quickly realised that how energy and time-consuming it was, so we ended up dividing and conquering so either one of us would take the first meeting or two uh, and then own the um, sort of the, the data collection um, process with that particular investor and then bring in the other one just for a bit of a dog and pony show at some point. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, but we did, we just, we, we left that we, we had to divide. Otherwise we'd be, I mean, it was hard enough as it was. Mm. It took a, a lot of energy even doing it separately. Um, and away from the business, really. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, we could probably get closer towards the end of the episode, maybe just a little bit of time just talking about the future. Do you have things planned for the, the next phase of the journey, the next year or two that you want to discuss? It sounds like you've got a pretty pretty good spot. Like you said, you've got that suite of offerings now and a lot of people out there demanding them or wanting them. So where to next? Yeah, look, we're, our goal for this year is to be removing 200 tonnes of pollution per month by the end of the year. Uh, so we're really focused on that. And we've got quite a great go-to-market strategy into the US and Australia to do that. And we're really noticing brands are, 
are just so receptive to it. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and the conversations that we were having were just incredible. I'm not sure if it's because we're in person or because COVID's gone and supply chains are freeing up, but we can really see a shift in brands and um, sustainability isn't something that would be nice to have, it's a must. Uh, And so we just want to get our products into the hands of as many brands as possible to make as much impact as we can as quickly as possible. But yeah, you're right, Tim. We're we're actually in a really neat place now. You know, we've got um, a great product range that we love. And while it's you know nothing's perfect, they kick ass. Mm. They're they're pretty close to awesome. <laughs> and and now yeah, it's just about bedding that down and, and getting out there. And you know, as I think we said in our pitch video, the more we sell, the more plastic we collect. Um, out of you know and prevent from going to the ocean it's that simple so yeah it's about selling now it's about getting out there and telling the world about plastic and um, yeah. we we do have two sneaky new innovations coming because <laughs> I know we teased you on the last one so <laughs> of course you do we're going to give you another two um, one involves a different pollution source I'll say that yeah. um, which is super cool and the other one hmm, might be it's kind of a transformer. To do with end of life. <laughs> end of life. Yeah. So it makes, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So watch watch the space. They'll be launching late this year or early next year. So the innovation's still happening. Mm, true. Of course it is. And we thank you for that. And I just, I love to imagine you going around to these trade shows, interacting with all these others, and they're just like, wow, you guys have figured out how to solve these problems that these multinational giants, these waste companies have not been able to solve. So kudos to you both and to the whole team. I've loved having another follow-up chat with you. Was there anything else you wanted to share today before we clock off with our listeners? No, no I'd just love to say thank you for your support. Like it yeah. just, it's just, it's, it's getting votes of confidence is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've got your head down doing what you do it's really nice to lift it up and actually have someone pat you on the back and say thanks so thank you for that for providing that forum um it came at a really neat time as yeah well. it was really cool so we really appreciate it and we love catching up with you i love it and zip water who are now an awesome customer yeah love it thank you guys so much uh, enjoy your day over there in auckland and uh, we'll catch up with you maybe next year <laughs> Watch this space. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Guys, we hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave us a bit of feedback. It really helps us out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. On Spotify, you can let us know what you loved about the episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to drop us a comment or hit the like button. It means a lot.